Good evening. It is great to see you tonight. How many of you like choices? Many of you have 452 TV channels at home. You watch four, (laughs) but you have the option, don't you, in case it goes bad. You know, a buffet is popular for multiple reasons. It's quick, you can eat a whole lot, and you have what? You have options, you have choices. We love, we love choices. I think that's just part of our humanity. Well, this evening, we're going to look at some choices that God has made in Romans chapter 9. If you were here last week, I, uh, I said that we're going to be in this the next few weeks through in, in August. And I, I believe this is the most difficult chapter in the Bible. And you, I hope tonight we'll be able to understand it and apply it. But I think it really is important if you're serious about your relationship with Christ and serious about understanding the Bible, this is a chapter you don't need to ignore or you don't need to misunderstand. It's very, very important. And and remember, when you interpret Scripture, context is everything. What comes before it, what comes after it. I think in Romans 9, understanding the context is one of the biggest keys to getting it right. We're not going to read it right now, but remember to understand Romans chapter 9. You really need to understand verse 1 through 3 and verse 30 through 33. The bookends of this chapter really tell you what it's about. Chapter 9, 10, and 11 go together. Chapter 10 is very easy to understand with its whosoever and call upon the name of the Lord and, and, and those things. Understanding this chapter in its context really helps. God's talking in chapter 9, 10, and 11. He's talking to the Jewish people. He's talking about their failure to accept him and that it's not him that's messed up. It's them and us who have messed up. So let's look at some of God's choices. Let's begin with this. God has the right of choice and making the rules. Amen? God, God does. God does. God has the right. Now, If you've gone to this church for at least two weeks, you know that I have a struggle uh, with the Dallas Cowboys. Let me tell you why. Let me give you the history of that. Number one, my mother was a very wonderful, obnoxious cowboy fan. She, uh, She grew up in Texas. And she loved the Cowboys, and she was loud, and that was back when we were growing up with the Roger Staubach. You know, he was Mr. Goody Goody, Captain America. And, and she loved him and cheered him on. And, and so, you know, my brother and I, naturally as young people, just had to resist our mother's will on that and be against her. And then Jerry Jones became the owner, and Jerry Jones is, um, he's obnoxious. And, and he has done some things that, that I, I, I'm a football, I love football, and he, he's done some things that are just, for a football person, kind of weird. He, he doesn't let the coaches make a lot of decisions. He makes all the players' decisions. He's the general manager, the president, the CEO, the owner. Uh, you know, and he got there, he said, we're going to make every decision from socks to jocks to everything. And here's what he said. Here's what he said. He said, I own the team. I can do what I want. And you know what? He's exactly right. And the great news is they hadn't been to a Super Bowl in 20 years doing what he wants. On the spiritual side of it, God owns the team. Now, I'm going to give you some scriptures that will not be on the screen, so you can write them down. But Genesis 1-1, it says, In the beginning, there was a big bang, and amoebas popped out, and shazam, here was the world. 
No, that's not what it says. What does it say? Say it with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Listen, when you create the heavens and the earth, you can write the rules. Do you agree? Uh, so, so God has earned the right to make choices and to write the rules, okay? Let me share with you some of these choices from Romans chapter 9. And some of this is just going to be a quick review. He's chosen, number one, that salvation's life's greatest issue. You know, it just kills me. Some churches and some Christians act like evangelism, people being saved. You know, that's not that important. That's not really what the church's main thing should be about. Good grief. You have nothing until you're saved. And read verses 1 through 3 when you get home. I'm not going to read it again. Paul said, man, my heart breaks so much for my lost Jewish friends that I would die and go to hell in their place if that would save them. Wow. God writes the rules. God says the most important thing is that a person be saved. In, in, in the Gospels, Jesus tells the story of the pearl of great price. I'll, I'll bring it to our day. If you were to go to a jewelry store and you knew pearls or jewelry, which I absolutely don't, and, but you did, and you saw they, someone was selling a pearl for $200 and that you knew that was worth $50 million, you would be crazy if you didn't sell the shirt off your back to get $200 to buy that pearl, correct? That's what Jesus talked about salvation. He said you should do anything it takes to make sure you're saved. That's life's greatest issue. Here's the second thing Jesus says. He has chosen to use the Jewish people in special ways. Like it or not, dislike it or not. Again, verse 4 and 5, we talked about this last week. We won't read it. He he tells the Jewish people, I adopted you, not for individual salvation. I adopted you to be my missionary people. I gave you the Ten Commandments. I gave you the temple. I gave you the tabernacle. I gave you the covenants. By the way, even the Messiah is coming through you. Like it or not, Jesus chose, God chose, God has the right to choose to use the Jewish people in a special way that he didn't choose to use the Baptist, right? I, I mean, that's just, that, that's just the truth. Here's the third thing, and here's where we begin to really get to the heart of the matter for the Jewish people. He has chosen the route of salvation. He's chosen the route of salvation. He's chosen the way that it's going to be. How many of you ever fly or you have flown in the past? And if you've ever gone to, you, everybody in here probably has. And if you go to, like, uh, some of these cheap air or cheap flights, which, which are good, good places, it always tickles me. You say, okay, I want to go from, from Monroe to Nashville. And they will give you 800 options. You can go from Monroe to Atlanta to Nashville, Monroe to Little Rock to Nashville, Monroe to Dallas to Nashville. You can actually go from Monroe to Charlotte to Chicago to New York City to London to Nashville. And it tickles me, they'll say, which route would you like? One layover and be there in four hours or 18 layovers and be there three days later? Well, gee, I guess there's some goofballs that are choosing those or they wouldn't keep listing them, amen? I mean, there has to be something there. The route to salvation is a lot narrower than that, friend. It's through Jesus Christ. But God chose these Jewish people and he's showing us that the route to salvation through Jewish people, to them and to us, had a specific uh, thread and a specific bloodline. Let's walk through these quickly. It was through Abraham. It began through Abraham. Abraham was uh, our spiritual father, and he was also the bloodline father of the Jewish people. In verse 7, not all are the children of Abraham because they are his offspring 
through Isaac, your offspring will be named. And we'll talk about that more in a moment. But Abraham originally was the one God chose to say, you're going to be the father of the Jewish people. You're going to be, uh, you're going to be the one who the Messiah comes through. People, all kinds of people are going to be blessed through you. Now, here's what's neat about that. When God told him this, he is a senior citizen. He may have been living in assisted living in some tent where he was. He was married to an elderly lady, and they could not have kids. God's way of doing things are, may be radically different from ours, but it's always best, it's always right, and always brings glory to him. Okay? He chose through Abraham. Then he went through Isaac. Look in verse 7 and 8. It's not all your children. Abraham had several children. But the promise is coming through Isaac. Your offspring will be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh, other kids who are your children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return, and Sarah will have a son. Now, you go, okay, what's the deal with this? Well, here, here's, here's again God. Here's again God doing some neat things. Sarah and Abraham can't have a kid. So Sarah and Abraham devise their own plan, and they give him Hagar, who, her servant, and she has a kid through him. That's, that's Abraham's first son. In this society, the firstborn son got two-thirds of the inheritance. He was supposed to be the leader. He would have been the, the heir apparent. God said, nope, it's not coming through the young, pretty servant girl. It's coming through your elderly wife. She can't have a baby. She is old now. She is old. She can't have a baby. And God says, you know what? You're not making the rules. I'm making the rules. And the, 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 the Messiah and the Jewish people and the Christ is coming through Isaac. See, it didn't come through the firstborn son of Abraham. And, in fact, it came through a senior adult lady who couldn't have kids. That's pretty cool, isn't it? God writes the rules. But not only that, it was going to come through Jacob. It was coming through Jacob. What about Jacob? Verse 10, it says, not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac. So here's Rebekah. Now, Rebekah marries Isaac. Isaac's Abraham's son. They've been married about 25 years. In Genesis 25, 31, Rebekah is barren. Doesn't God have such a great sense of humor? God's saying the promise and the Messiah, the Jewish people, and the promise is coming to you, Isaac. And Isaac's saying about year 15, I'm, we need to have a kid for this to happen, God. You know what? God's silence doesn't mean God's forgotten. Ever. And at the right time, guess what happened? Verse 11 and 12. Though they were not yet born and done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger. So here's, here's the, you have a son. Isaac has a son. He has two sons. He has Jacob and Esau. You go, what's the significance about that? We're going to talk a little bit more about Jacob in a minute. Remember, Jacob also is called Israel. Well, Esau is born first. The firstborn son gets two-thirds of the inheritance. The, the firstborn son gets the birthright. The firstborn son is the one who's supposed to be the leader. God says, that's not how it's going to be. I've chosen that it's going to be the second-born son who is going to end up with the birthright, who is end up going to be the father of the Jewish people, and who the Messiah is going to come through. God does some things pretty cool, doesn't he? See, God makes the rules. 
And, and when God was choosing salvation and where Jesus was going to come from, he didn't choose an ordinary route. But let's look at this, and this is very important. What does the choice of Jacob mean for you and me tonight? What, what does this mean? Now, let me, let me show you the next few minutes on, on something very important. This, this passage we're going to look through tonight and next week are really important. Because a lot of times people have gotten theologically tripped up. Now, I want to encourage you to go, go home tonight and casually read Romans 9. It's not easy. And that's why I didn't want to preach on it. I would rather be talking about love thy neighbor tonight. This is difficult. My back hurts from this heavy lifting. It's a joke, you know. But what does this mean? Let me tell you what this means. Number one, it's about service and being a blessing. When God chose Jacob, and we're going to see some interesting things here, it was not he was choosing Jacob. Jacob for salvation, and Esau was going to go to hell before they were ever born. It's important to get that right. Look in verse 11. Some big words here. Though they were not yet born and done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose, now what does purpose mean here? It means God's design. It means his plan. We have a purpose statement. We exist to love, win, and grow, resting in the world for Christ. That's our plan that in purpose we want to live out as a church. We do that, hopefully, semi-effectively. God's plan and purpose, God can always fulfill it perfectly. It says God's purpose of election. You hear election. Sometimes that makes you nervous. At least it makes me nervous in America today. What do you think of an election? You think of Trump and Hillary and you get the hives, right? But, but an election... Election, in our mind, is political, isn't it? It's, it's, a, it's a, a political term. The biblical word election means choice. It means choice. And here, it is a theological term is what it is. We botch elections. God doesn't botch elections. So you're going, okay, now what does this mean? Because some people will say, well, it's God's purpose here. God's plan was to elect some for heaven and some for hell. Let's stay with me. Let's see what we can discover from the Bible here. It says God's purpose of election might continue. It's not because of works, but because of him who calls. The word calls means to invite. And, and it's interesting here, this word invite means to participate with God in redemption. In a vocation or a destination, what is God's purpose? What is God's election or choice and call to Jacob here in verse 12? It says, she was told the older will serve the younger. Jacob, Esau never served Jacob in their lifetimes. He's talking about these people, the Jewish people, Jacob, Israel versus Esau, the people of Edom. Folks, here's the great news. If you look in verse 12, God didn't say he chose Jacob to be saved and Esau to go to hell. He said, I've chosen Jacob basically to be the leader. That's pretty good, isn't it? I've chosen him to be the conduit for if the Jewish people are going to come through him. I've chosen him that the Christ is going to come through him. Now look at verse 13. This ought to make you nervous. As it is written, Chris, I have loved, but Clayton, I have hated. Are y'all paying attention? Mary said, amen, amen. How many of you that verse makes you nervous? 
Well, it ought to if you don't know what it means. God's a hater. Let me give you some good news. The same word hate there, remember the New Testament was written in Greek. If we go back to Luke 14, 26, listen to what it says. If anyone comes to me and does not read that out loud with me, hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciples. I know what's going to happen tonight. Some of you men are going to go home and say, honey, I hate you, and the Bible says I can. (laughs) Don't do that. The word hate means to love less than. It was a biblical word to show preference here. Are you following me? Nobody reads Luke 14, 26. It's got any intelligence at all and thinks that God, who is love, love, love throughout the Bible, is telling you and me to hate our wives, our brothers, our sisters, and our mothers. It's saying that God's saying, I want you to choose me first. My preference, your preference ought to be God above everything else. That you ought to love your wife, your children, everything tremendously. You ought to love Jesus more. And he's saying here, not that I literally hated Esau, but I made a preference to choose Jacob for a different task. Now, it's interesting, too. The quote that's used here in verse 13 is from Malachi chapter 1. It was literally 1,500 years after Jacob and Esau lived on this earth. So God's not talking here about Jacob and Esau. He's talking about the people, Jacob, Israel, and in Esau's relatives, Edom. By the way, the people of Edom were wicked, evil people. Jewish people failed a whole lot too. But see, when he's, when he's talking about preference here, what he's saying is, is I, I chose Jacob, the younger one, the second-born one, not for salvation, but for service. Now, this is a cool concept practically. First of all, I hope that helps you theologically. He chose Jacob for service. God's chosen you for service too. Isn't that wonderful? He's chosen you for service too. Let me give you an illustration. I may not be a very good reflection of one, but I do get paid to be a preacher. <laughs> right? Y'all do know you put money in the offering plate, and I do get some of that eventually, hopefully. Right? Are you, are you here? Okay. We'll pass that plate again if we need to. Okay. Here's the deal. I have a little brother who's a coach, football coach. I believe he's doing exactly what he should be doing. I believe I'm exactly doing what I should be doing. I didn't ask God to be a preacher. I wanted to be a coach. That's what I wanted to do. I didn't, I didn't ask, God, can I be a preacher? Make me a preacher. God chose me to be a preacher. Some of you are saying, well, maybe God made a mistake. Well, God doesn't make mistakes. <laughs> Jacob didn't choose this. God chose this for him. God has a plan for you too. Isn't that cool? Jacob wasn't chosen for salvation and Esau for damnation. Jacob was chosen to be the person that the Jewish people and even the Messiah were going to come through. Practically, God has got a purpose for you. Folks, almost all the time in the Bible when it talks about God choosing someone, it's for service. I heard the stories of of a group of mountain climbers who got trapped in a cave and couldn't get out. So they chose the smallest one. I can't imagine there's a lot of 
chubby mountain climbers, but they chose the smallest one. They were able to lift this person up. It was a woman and get her out of crevice to go get safety. They didn't choose her. Go, hey, we're going to let you go free and we'll just stay here and die. <laughs> no, we're, let, we're getting you out of here. We're choosing you to go to come back and get us saved. God chose Jacob for a purpose and a reason, and he's chosen you and me for the same thing. Here's the second part of this. This is important. God has mercy on whom he chooses to have mercy on. That sounds bothersome to me at first, too. You go, Pastor, where are you getting that? Read your Bible, verse 15. For he says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. That word mercy means pity. It means help with sin, compassion. Folks, biblically, remember this. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy's not getting what you deserve. And grace is getting, in a positive sense, what you don't deserve. Make sense? God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show mercy and compassion on whoever I want to. And you're going, oh, wait a second, that, that sounds harsh to us. It sounds terrible to the Jewish people. Because many of them thought that God loved them and hated the Gentiles. And God, God is speaking through Paul largely right now to Jewish people trying to tell them, look, you aren't chosen by your race. You are chosen by grace, it, by faith in Jesus Christ. And, and that God can have mercy on whom he wants to have mercy on. Romans chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. Look at this. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation, for who? All men, so the one act of righteousness, this is Jesus' death, led to justification in life for who? All men. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, the many, and many is synonymous with all, were made sinners, so that by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Romans eleven thirty two, Romans eleven thirty two. for God has, has consigned all to disobedience. When Adam sinned, it messed it up for all of us. That he may have mercy on who? Oh, say, when God says, I'll have mercy on who I want to have mercy, God says, I want to have mercy on everybody. Isn't that great? No, not really. Yes, it's great. Get excited. That's great, isn't it? I mean, that should be great. Last thing I want to tell you, God's choice regarding salvation is all his. It's all his. God's choices in salvation are all his choice. Verse 16 so then it depends not on human will or, or, or exertion, but on God who has mercy. God said salvation's coming through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, through Judah, through Jesus Christ. And you know what? Come hell or high water, that's exactly how salvation is coming. That's how God's plan. That's what God said. And, and he says to these people, it's not based on your will, your decision, or your exertion. The word exertion meant to run. Paul, Paul often talked about athletics, and it's a picture of someone straining to get a prize. Now, here's something neat. The Jewish people talked about walking or running the way of the law. Now, to walk and run in the way of the Scriptures is good. They, they thought about walking and running in the way of the law because they could earn salvation that way. He said, listen, that's not how it works. You... God's chosen the route of salvation. It is by grace through faith in Christ alone. You can't earn it by being good. You can't will it by your power. You can't buy it with your money. God 
who is God made the choice. So I want to give you one last thought on this. There's some really good news in all of this. I, I, think, there's, I think this whole thing's good. But look in verse 14. What shall we say? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. You've been keeping up with politics. You know, poor Bernie Sanders looked like he got railroaded, didn't he? I mean, really, I, you know, not fair. Kind, kind of, I don't know if he would have beat Hillary or not anyway, but it looks like there was a little politics behind the scene. Injustice. When it says this about God, God is, is God wrong? Is God unjust? God's unfair? Is this true? We see that in our world because sometimes we're unjust and we're not fair, right? God is always just. God is always fair. God is always righteous. This, the, the, all this about God's choices, I know this is, this is confusing. I hope it's a little clearer than it was. Let me tell you two things. God's choices are always for the best. Isn't that great? God, God doesn't sit in heaven in, in, in ages past and has made arbitrary choices that are mean or indifferent. God's choices, you may not respond to them and accept them, but God's choices are always for our best, always for our best. And here's, here's a, a, another thing. God's choices are always based in his love for us. John three sixteen. what does it say? Say it with me. Sound like y'all are speaking in tongues. That's okay. The whole deal with Jesus was about love. And every decision God makes, all God's choices are based in his love for us. That's great news, isn't it? Let's pray. Jesus, help us to submit Submit tonight to your will, to your plan, to your purpose. We love you, and we thank you so much for loving us. In your name I pray. Amen. Hey, you need to submit to God's purpose and plan for your life right now. You're not a Christian. When we stand, you need to come. You need tonight to submit to God's plan. God's purpose is for you to give your life to him. Come and do that tonight. Maybe you'd like to join the church. We would love for you to do that. You can come and join. You can come after church or you can come now. You're a Christian. Are you submitted to God's will and plan for your life? You say, well, I don't understand it. It makes me nervous. It confuses me. All that means is you are normal. Submit to it. You win with God when you submit to God. Let's stand and let's do that. You come now.